brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Of Record is a podcast focused on the marketing and advertising industry from the perspective of two industry experts. Hosts Matt Farrar and Joe Clements are co-founders of Strategic Digital Services, a digital marketing firm based in Tallahassee, Florida, and founded in 2014. I'm Matt Farrar. And I'm Joe Clements. And this is the podcast of Record. Hello, podcast. This is producer Kyle. We have no Matt in the show today. It's just me. Yeah. And a 35 minute <laughs> monologue. <laughs> so what we're going to do here is we're going to start off with the news. Um, we're going to have like three or four articles. I think we're going to talk about some interesting things happening. Um, and then we're going to move on to actually something Joe just thought of a new segment. I've been thinking about it for a while. Yeah. It's not a new, I guess it's not a segment. It's not it's new. more of a topic. It, it is. Is it digital? And where do we draw the line? On digital. Yes. He's really just testing a new podcast. Um, yeah. Called it Is It Digital? <laughs> With Joe Close. Just kidding. Okay. So we're going to go in the first story. I so. wish we had just like news stories where yeah. it's like, bam, 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 where I just read the news in brief. <laughs> so out of that age, and this has made uh, some traffic on the internet. So it's not going to be the first time some listeners probably heard about it, but Twitter uh, going into the six second video market where they will. Uh, you will only pay as an advertiser for a completed view where completed equals six seconds. I think that's probably a good ad product for Twitter. The way people tend to consume Twitter, it's probably the platform where you scroll through the feed the fastest of the major platforms. Uh, definitely faster than Facebook. 
certainly faster than Instagram. I feel like Instagram's a very slow scroll speed. Uh, Twitter's probably the fastest. So I think that ad product is going to be interesting for them. Does it change my opinion on the amount of Twitter advertising anybody should be doing? No, not unless you're trying to reach like media people or very specific industry influencers in certain fields. Yeah. Uh, probably not, but it's a good product, I think, for advertisers who do use Twitter to push messages. Uh, next story that caught my eye was Pandora opening up podcast submissions to all creators. So for a while, Pandora had that fairly feature gated. Now they've opened it up just like, uh, Apple, just like Google. You can now even us, <laughs> even this podcast of record can now submit to Pandora. Yeah. Thanks Pandora. For I can't wait work. to tell my mom we're on Pandora. <laughs> she knows about Pandora. Um, I've always wanted to be on Sirius. Now, <laughs> producer Kyle put it out something to be funny. That's an article uh, out of TechCrunch. Pandora opens up podcast submissions to all creators, and there's a graphic with this amalgamation of podcast uh, cover art on it. And Kyle pointed out, like, hmm, there's no Gimlet podcast <laughs> on there. But why, Kyle, did we land on that there's no Gimlet podcast on there? Competition. Competition because... They're better. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Gimlet is owned by Spotify, who is... Uh, probably Sirius XM slash Pandora's biggest rival in the in the online audio only space. And Spotify had a bit of news this week where its podcast dashboard came out of beta. And the reason that's important is Spotify not only as a distribution tool, but as a platform. Kyle's looking Stop at me because I'm playing with the thing on the table <laughs> in our in our studio that has yet to be put fully <laughs> together since the move. <laughs> Uh, so Spotify has a what seems to be a fairly well thought out dashboard to allow podcast creators to learn more about the listeners to their shows. And if you've listened to us talk about the podcast space, we're bullish on audio. But one of its downsides is the relative paucity of analytics and data about users compared to what you might find on Facebook. So uh, next story also Coincidentally, out of TechCrunch. And I think it's interesting because if this was any other publisher or platform, I feel like people would be losing their minds over it. <laughs> uh, but BuzzFeed's new, quote, mood feed, end quote, recommends content based on how you're feeling. So this ties into a concept called media gratification theory, which is one of the, and I think probably one of the truest theories about how we actually use media to to change our mood, let's say you're feeling sad, you want to listen to something happy, you might listen to some dance music. So to change our mood or to enhance our mood, like if we're feeling just like sad and angry, we're going to put on some death metal. <laughs> we're going to rock out on our way home. I don't do that. Why don't you do but that? I'm sad I mean, angry. you drive a Jeep, so I figure <laughs> you're Wrangler, you just have that top it's down. It's mostly Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody media gratifies differently, I guess. <laughs> um, so I think that's interesting, right? Because if Facebook announced that they were going to tailor your newsfeed based on how you're feeling, people would lose their minds. It would be it would be mind control, mm -hmm. right? But BuzzFeed for some reason does it, and it's like, oh, that's really cute because they have like these emojis tied to them, and so like I'm feeling nostalgic, or I'm feeling curious, or I'm feeling anxious, yeah. and they'll recommend things to 
Uh, and I think for the negative emotions, they recommend things to help alleviate it. Oh, okay. uh, and if you're feeling like curious or nostalgic, they'll reinforce that emotion. Okay. Um, I, but it's the internet. So <laughs> where's the outrage emotion? Like, where do you show me if I'm feeling outraged? <laughs> or what if I'm not feeling outraged enough currently? How are they going to help me get to the acceptable level of outrage? Because it's 2019. Yeah. United States, I can't be at outrage level zero. I mean, they'll probably put in front of you Facebook news. They'll probably put in front of you yeah. Facebook news. Yeah. <laughs> just show about, you articles about Facebook. About Facebook, yeah. yeah. Um, or, or just pull a miscellaneous political article from yeah. anywhere and show it to you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and it yeah. won't matter. You'll just be yeah. triggered. Um, so that is what uh, BuzzFeed is up to lately. Okay. And I would like to take a break because this episode is sponsored by TechCrunch. TechCrunch. <laughs> Go ahead. Just kidding. Next, next uh, article. We had, was that two or three on three. TechCrunch yeah. there? Three? Pandora, Spotify, yeah. and that one. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the news sources that cover, I yeah. mean, every problem is everybody is covering like big tech now. Like it's a yeah. thing. So everybody's writing the obligatory weekly hit piece on uh-huh. big tech and like, you know, YouTube showing murders to, ch- I don't know, that's true, but like showing things <laughs> to children. And so finding the actual stories mm-hmm. about what the platforms and publishers are doing, like, is increasingly only being done by a few publications yeah. who kind of cover the trade. And it's just depending on what you look at. So yeah, if you look at Age one, is one of those, and Ad yeah. Age often has really have, great stuff. We have an Ad Age subscription. I don't. Yeah, you're not granted access. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that Wall Street Journal subscription. <laughs> That's messed up. Yeah, everybody's got that friend who trolls them by sending them like the Wall Street Journal article. Like, <laughs> yeah. check out this article. And yeah. you click it, it's like paywall after yeah. one sentence. Like, oh, I'm, I'm too poor. What I like to do is send four Tallahassee Democrat articles and the fourth one oh, is, is the one paywall? I actually want yeah. them to see. I think a lot of papers do that. What, <laughs> yeah. what British guy was talking about is where the... Uh, publisher cookie counts. Yeah, how many stories you can you can. The view. fourth one's the actual interesting one. The other three are just I don't know. <laughs> the other three are just, <laughs> just clock. Yeah, clock yeah. Is Sorry, clock. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, we got about uh, twenty minutes. Yeah. Left. yeah, this podcast is off the rails without it Matt Ferrar to keep track of it. Okay, so uh, okay, so we've talked about Spotify, we've talked about Pandora, both audios. We've now transferred into BuzzFeed. What's what's after BuzzFeed? So I think now I want to talk about what is digital, <laughs> and it sounds funny. Because we kind of take for granted, digital is the stuff that happens on the internet. You buy it online, pay for it online. Usually you even pay as you go more than place the buy up front or, or be in voice for it later. Um, but what caught my attention is this article in the New York Times this week called Hate Those Floating Digital Billboards? New York just banned them. So New York, and this is specifically about in New York, they have barges that pull these big uh-huh. glowing digital billboards. Yeah. But what this got me thinking is the use of that term digital. And so you can now buy a uh, billboard stock online on the, a trade like platform where it, everybody's seen these, those billboards that are uh, basically big TV screens and they change, they rotate every few seconds. So you can actually buy them day part time of day, uh, day of the week, the price goes up and down. Uh, the outdoor media companies have done a pretty good job of getting a market going for those, which I do think makes that product more valuable from an advertiser perspective. Um, what is interesting to me there is the use of the word digital and is buying a billboard 
digital. Certainly the billboard itself, the technology is just not analog. Yeah. But is it what we would consider digital media? Before I get into my my thinking on it, uh, I want your thoughts, yeah. producer Kyle. Um, You're a young man. You've grown up in a world that's pretty much only digital. So very little analog in your life. So, so didn't we? I thought we had this conversation actually last week where we were looking at you know some kind of proposal or something. It was like digital bill. Oh no, it was actually it was actually earlier this week with Matt, but. I saw it in a proposal and it was mm-hmm. digital billboards. And I literally like I sat there and asked like, what, what did that mean? Because to me, this is what it meant to me, right? When I saw a digital billboard, I thought it meant the type of what a billboard does, a, a big piece of, of creative, something that's at the top or something that is kind of like a header on a website, right? So like, mm-hmm. I thought that's what it was. I thought it was a actually on like a website website or an app or something. I thought it was like a Google ad or something of that sort, you know, where it's like this certain size was a digital billboard. Um, but now thinking about it more, I think it does. I think it is a good name for the digital billboard because you are buying the ad stock digitally. Mm -hmm. That's the thing I think is kind of, I don't know. Billboard classifies so the create the spot, like the creative, yeah. what it is, and digitally classifies it as you can buy this digitally. The method of buying. Yeah. So you would define it as how do you purchase that piece of advertising real estate? Whether that yeah. advertising real estate appears on your phone screen, on your browser, or whether it appears on a basically a giant TV hanging over top of the interstate. Yeah. I mean, it's confusing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um well, I don't know what should be changed about it and other than the word digitally. Well, how do you feel about like uh, over-the-top TV or direct targeted TV? Is that digital or is that TV? I think that's digital. For me, that's digital because it's the same. I don't know how you buy it, but I'm assuming you buy it through an ad platform digitally. Um, and it uses kind of the same strategies, I would say. Mm-hmm. Less, I don't know. Does it use less strategies, more strategies from TV or does it use more strategies from digital? So I think you've actually put your finger on what I think is at stake. Yeah. And the reason this question matters is because in the broader advertising marketing world, there's been up until recently a very clear division between this is digital advertising, i.e. it happens on a computer or phone screen or tablet, uh-huh. and this is traditional advertising yep. it's a tv buy a radio buy a billboard mail you know buses what whatever it is out outdoor it would be billboard and yeah. buses um but over the last few years that has been converging to where everything is becoming digital in some way we're able to buy in almost real-time markets um bidding against other buyers to show our ad at the time we want to show the ad to the people we want to show the ad to. And so I think the the definition that I prefer is the one that says digital advertising is in reference to the way that it's bought and the strategies that are available to employ. So true digital advertising um and I'm going to get myself into trouble here with people who know. I would, yeah. I would argue that actual digital advertising is purchased at auction in a pay-as-you-go manner, and that when you get to this like prepay or minimum purchase stuff, 
you're actually inching back into something that looks more like a traditional buy. So traditional buy would be you buy big chunks in aggregate and you can't really do that much definition, you know, that much definition of your targeting, of your audience. Um, but you buy a thing and you put it up in digital, it's more atomized. You have more control over when the spend happens, how much you're paying. Competitors can drive up prices on you and it happens in near real time. Okay, so what do you think about, um, did you watch uh, any NHL playoffs mm-hmm. this last year? Yep. Did you see those? Uh, uh, boards, right? Yeah, the yeah. board ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what would those be? Because, I mean, like... So I don't uh, know how they were selling them, right? Are they just selling them? Like, hey, you... Fi- like the behind home plate stuff. Right. Uh, hey, you advertisers, mm-hmm. has part of your package with NBC Sports, we will scroll your digital ad... Uh, you'll get up to five minutes of screen time. Yeah. Uh, but it's a prepay and those advertisers prepaid and then the network runs it when the network wants to run it. Right. I would say that's basically the same thing as just buying the old glued on ad on the boards anyway. Yeah. And so what now if I could bid, right. If there was a platform where I could log in, um, and bid for what shows up there and I could be like, Oh, you know, in the, you know, let's say St. Louis area. I, so I want to bid 100 mile radius of St. Louis uh, for any households where there's males 18 to 25 watching the game. Uh, and I want to buy game two. If I could do that, I'd say, all right, that's probably digital. Okay, so that's where it, it separates itself with digital billboards for sure. Yeah, because you can do that with these digital billboards. There's actually markets for them where you can... Uh, you know, buy, get approved, and then have it go up, you know, at rush hour on Tuesdays. Yeah, but you're not getting that, like, I want to target 100 miles St. Louis radius, 18 to 34-year-old males. Yeah, um, with you still could do the geographic targeting yeah. there. You couldn't do the 18 to 24-year-old males. demographics because you're just getting eyes. But I would stuff. argue the market, the, the auction-based system, is more of the core of what makes yeah. it digital even than the targeting. So as long as you have a market-based auction system in there, I would argue that that is that is more core to it being digital than the really atomized targeting. Um, and because uh, a good example, I think, on what is what digital is um, that has a little bit more of a traditional buying method, but has more of the digital targeting metrics is mm-hmm. um, is like internet radio. Yep. Because like. Pandora, like our experience was with that is kind of the same. So way. I think Pandora yeah. is still working very similar to a radio buy yeah. with better targeting. But yeah. you pretty much they give you a plan just like a radio station would. And then you buy the plan and they execute the plan. And once it's flighted, it's it's flighted. So is that digital? Spotify has a dashboard. So yeah. Spotify, you get in, uh, you you bid. I'm guessing you're bidding against other advertisers yeah. in it. I think the marketplace has more to do with it than the so even though uh, I would you know Pandora is happening over the internet and happening on screens I would argue that that is much closer to traditional than something like Facebook or Twitter or Google AdWords. Okay. Cool, that flushes it out. Yeah, but I think people in the industry are going to have vastly different opinions on that than yeah. I do. Well, it's also setting up what's going to become eventually it's going to be a traditional versus digital. It, yeah. And it's going to be a conflict point yeah. of, of who's buying it. With like so over when, the top and internet radio. Yeah. Things like that. When those start to look the same, well, who buys it? And m- my case would be 
Well, if it's just a big bulk buy that you're pre-buying and it happens to have it on the internet, that is much closer to the core competency of a traditional ad buyer. If it's happening where you're setting, you know, there's CPMs and you have uh, different audiences you're targeting with different messages, I'm going to argue that that's much closer to the digital company's core competency. So it's more of the strategical, what do you need strategic? strategical a word? Strategical? Strategic. I think it's just strategic. The strategic. If only Matt were here, he would know. Fuck, I'm going to If only Matt were here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The strategic, uh, like methods is more yeah. separated yeah, than I like think it's, where it's being placed. I or, think it's the skill. Yeah. And so one of the things I think we underappreciate in the digital world is the skill of buying traditional media when it's done well and what a traditional media plan looks like. We undervalue the skill of doing it in that format. Um, and there's a skill there. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the same way, I think traditional buyers may undervalue the skill of understanding that there's 15 different audiences and we're optimizing a hundred different pieces of creative for them. Yeah. Um, And there's negatives and uh, positives to both sides that people use to justify. Now, certainly I think the market is going to pull everything towards looking as much like digital as possible because it's where you, you, the, the buyers want that more. They want more control. Yeah. So I think that's where you, you we end up over the course of the next 10 years okay so right now i come to you with you know 20 grand and i say i want to run internet radio ads um but i have i have radio buyers and i have digital internet buyers yeah i want to split it over iHeartRadio, pandora spotify Mm -hmm. who's who's buying that so this is interesting because this is an audience question right like if the audience is young if the audience is under 30 put on Spotify. Um, If the audience is, you know, mixed a little older, uh, you're going to have iHeartRadio, maybe significant, maybe mostly Pandora in that mix. So who's making that buy? Um, Is it you or is it the, my, uh, my uh, radio buyer? That's a, so that's an interesting question. Um, I don't, I don't know the answer, right? If there's already a giant scaled out radio buy being made, it probably makes sense for them to place the iHeartRadio buy because they're probably going to do a placement with iHeartRadio anyway. There's probably an economy of scale or leverage to be gained with iHeartMedia with letting them do it. Does it make sense that they're placing Spotify? Probably not, in my opinion. Pandora, SiriusXM debatable yeah but so there's a gamut there spotify looks a lot more mm-hmm. like facebook twitter google uh pandora iHeartMedia looks a lot more like traditional radio yeah okay that was just hypothetical yeah <laughs> i think it's going to be something a lot of um you know a lot of brands start to have come up yeah so last thing how much time do we have in my bad clock setting i think um it's very close to five minutes. Cool. So this article I saw on The Verge, and I I keep getting these moments of, like, incredulity when I now see the obligatory article written on an online publication like The Verge or really any media publication marveling at how online or digital first media companies are so influential and have such big audiences, Mm -hmm. 
right? Especially when I see a newspaper do it. It's like, yeah, like people aren't consuming less news. Like you, you know that, like, you know, they went somewhere. So in The Verge, which is an online, you know, has this uh, article, YouTube shows have become a secret weapon for rising politicians. I just want to click. What? I just want to click, right? Click. Um, (laughs) So, and it says the video platform reaches more young voters in an average week than every cable network combined. Like, yeah, that's why the politicians want to go on it. Uh, and this references um, Bernie Sanders was on Joe Rogan a couple of weeks back. Mm. And I think he's had um, he's had a couple. Yeah, he's had several yeah. of them uh, on there. I think there's a couple things to be noted there. The format of cable news is awful. It's bad. The format of network news and the Sunday shows is slightly better, but still really bad. Why? Uh, it, the incentive they have is to keep you watching and what every media company has an incentive to keep you watching. How will they do that matters, right? What cable news has become is a competition for who can put on the craziest things that agitate people emotionally into just viewing so they can feel angry or feel validated. This is driving. I, w- I make this argument that like the f- the quote fake news that happens on the internet is a very very minor part of the political issues we have in the country. That it's really the mainstream media that's driving it because they increasingly dignify and add value to the most contentious, um, not 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 most contentious issue to the most um, to the most vitriolic discussions. Right? They they drive those. In a way, and I think I don't think anybody right or left can look at the media's record over the last two, two and a half years and say they've been particularly credible or trustworthy. And they don't have to be right. This they need to do what gets audiences there. The problem is what's getting audiences on there is neither educational, beneficial, like it is straight up news, Jerry Springer, but with consequences. It's short form versus long form. Yeah. Yeah. What's happening on YouTube? And podcast, a lot of it, those things often go together. One day we will have our YouTube live stream with our show. <laughs> uh, is people are coming and they're watching. That Bernie Sanders interview was an hour and 20 minutes straight. Andrew Yang, I think, was two hours and 15 minutes. So you have millions and millions of people watching and listening for hours of a candidate providing an explanation of their viewpoints and policy solutions. That is insane given if you look at what's going on around you in the quote-unquote like mainstream media or establishment media, whatever you want to call it, they would have you believe that it's not possible that millions and millions of people would watch that. The fact is, Joe Rogan interviews Bernie Sanders and that has more views than any single Bernie Sanders interview on Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or whatever it is. Uh, And so I think there's this dichotomy there of what, you know, the big media companies are doing in terms of their coverage of politics and blaming the Internet for politics being bad. Right. Like, why is there anything bad happening because of the Internet? Because they were on 4chan or they were on 8chan or they were on Facebook or they were on Twitter or they're bots. Right. So blame the Internet. But the reality is the only productive civic conversation going on is happening on the Internet. Um, and so tying this back up, I just kind of, 
look with some side eye when I see an article come out that's like, believe it or not, politicians are taking to the internet to win over voters. Like, yeah, because that's where the productive conversations are happening, where there's the possibility of persuading anyone. Mm-hmm. It's not happening in the mainstream, quote, like public sphere. Yeah. Agree with that. That's <laughs> my thinking. <laughs> I told you you're going to get a Joe Clemens monologue. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought they were joking. I just let you go on the, that one. Those who made it through the, uh, you know, our try of the news segment. <laughs> um, so, you good? Oh, I could go on for several more minutes, but yeah, I think we're good. I think we're good for this show. Okay, cool. We covered some heavy topics. Yeah. I feel like I have something to add, but I don't want to add it because like that was that was a good ending. You can always just tape it later and add it in. Yeah, that's true. But I won't. (laughs) So this is the part where Matt Ferrara would ask for a review. I'm not gonna ask for your review. You can do it if you want to. Yeah. Just keep doing it. I mean if do if it multiple you, times if yeah, you feel like it. Leave a review. Leave two. Um, send an email. If you didn't like this episode because it was just me and Kyle, yeah, Matt will probably be back on the next one. Then boy, do I got a podcast then that you're not going to like. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, well, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. So uh, what we'll do is um, we'll be back next week. Hopefully Matt Farrar will be in the studio. Maybe we'll have some uh, acoustic tiles yeah, around, a little maybe. bit of echo in here yeah. will be gone. Yeah. That'll be nice. Um, I forgot we probably should have mentioned that in the beginning, but I'm doing my best to take those noises out. But there's probably a little bit of AC hmm, underneath all Lulling of this. people to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, that's it. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Of Record is hosted and produced by me, Matt Farrar, and Joe Clements. Senior producer is Kyle Kane. Of Record is recorded at SDS Studios in Tallahassee, Florida. This episode of Of Record was edited and mixed by Kyle Kane. Our theme music is composed and performed by Rob Goki. Special thanks to Rebecca Romero, Nipa Eason, Shannon Glasner, and our team of interns here at SDS Studios. You can see more information about our guests and their projects at our website, podcastofrecord.com. We are, of course, on Facebook, and you can follow us on Instagram at podcastofrecord. For more information or to inquire about coming on the show, you can email us at info at podcastofrecord.com. As always, we'd appreciate your feedback and reviews in your favorite podcast app of choice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.